Hello, and welcome back to the Hidden Things and Hidden Things. I'm Dice Testament, and we're talking about the beginning of chapter seven, uh, which is a this is a pretty big chapter. This is uh, going to encompass quite a few of the podcasts, and certainly it's a it's a pretty good long chapter. A big chunk of this chapter, I think most of this chapter, is pretty much Calliope and her guys. Um, in the very beginning of it, we get a scene from Calliope's past. She's sleeping, so we get to do something in their past. So we're with Calliope and Joshua. And then after she wakes up, she's with Calliope and Tom. We're going to continue this theme because we're going to have some some time with her and Detective Johnson and Vicus and uh, Pretty Boy at the Bowling Alley and and then back to Gluin, her one true love. So, um, but we're going to start off here in this section with um, Joshua and her breaking up with Joshua. You know, that's interesting that I made that mistake. Sorry, uh, her and Joshua with Joshua leaving the band, which ended up being the emotional thing as opposed to him leaving her. Um, and then back to Tom, who uh, she's sort of breaking up with for a second time in three days because she just loves to pack those things up again or leaving him or whatever. She's having two awkward conversations with her guys so if you're the sort of person like my sound wizard who likes to skim through the mushy uh stuff on the book you might have skimmed these scenes before so welcome to the play-by-play of every painful horrible decision that calliope makes when she's trying to do something healthy and emotional she doesn't really know how to do that she tends to look at these sort of things as fights i don't mean like arguments i mean like fights she uses terminology that tends to be a lot more like a fight. Joshua makes a move that she says it caught her off balance or she's ready for it. It's a matter of her being braced. It's also interesting about what she was braced for versus what she wasn't braced for. She said when he, when Josh left her that she was ready for that. She knew that that was coming. She wasn't ready for him to leave the band. We will find out later in the book what that, at least some of that's about because you see the moment when Josh decides that they're done as a couple. And the fact that she pretty much spiked that wheel, knowing that that's what was going to happen, that she was just, you know, she, she didn't see a way out of doing that. So she did see that coming. The band for her is Calliope at the time that she was in the band, pretty much saw the band as her lifeline or saw music as her lifeline. So the idea that somebody could leave it was simply something that she couldn't contemplate because it wouldn't be something that she would be able to do. She does. She survives it fine. But at the time, it just was something that was completely beyond her. So when this happens, when Josh comes to her and says, I'm done. This isn't going to work for me. Um, I need to grow up. It's completely out of left field for her because it's not something she could really ever contemplate. And ironically, we also find out later is part of the reason that the band's not working, that the band is sort of stuck in this playing bar gigs for rent kind of situation. It is partly because of Calliope as well. The statement about Josh that he's growing up, it really kind of hurts Calliope, even though she knows that he didn't really mean it that way. It's a, it's a difficult one for her to cope with, at the t- especially at the time that it happened. You have to remember this was three years ago, and she's she's gotten a little bit of perspective s- since then. But Calliope left home when she was 16. It's been 10 years. But in a lot of ways, she's still the same age that she was when she left home. She's sort of trapped there. And she's going to be for a lot of this story until she gets home again and sort of figures out a way out of that that mental place that she was at so the idea that and you know she's she's been in the band that she's been doing this and she doesn't ever want to stop doing it because she sort of doesn't ever want to grow up 
there are a lot of parallels here. The reason, I mean, typically these little companion things, the whole story of Calliope and the story that's happened before that Gluon has uh, escorted these people and sort of, sort of thing. If you were to go back and see the story of every one of these people that Vicus has escorted through this thing where there's a companion and there's quest and blah, 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 it, it's always a kid. And then there's Calliope. And Calliope is not a kid, except she kind of is. So in a lot of ways, all of her irrational response to going home, to giving up the band, to acting like a grown-up, all that stuff is, it's still very much a younger Calliope. Um, because she's still sort of in that place. A lot of the trip, I mean, the trip is a morning trip, and it's certainly resolving all that stuff, but it's also about her letting that go and growing up. The dialogue in here is pretty, some people, you know, uh, the dialogue here is pretty rough. It, like I said, it, it's sort of blocked a little bit like a fight. I mean, it's, it's a lot of gut punch stuff. This is actually, Tom's scene is really interesting. The scene with Joshua and Calliope has always been there. Tom's scene, um, spending more time in LA before I left, I got to spend more time with Tom. So this scene is newer, I guess, or it's something that was in my head that I knew was going to happen. And then I finally got to write it and put it in the book. But it's definitely something that, that hurts her a lot and gets in, gets in under her skin because she's not very good at it. She's not, for all that she's very much in your face, she's not emotionally a very confrontational person. She's much more likely to dodge something and, and like just get mad and force somebody to stop the conversation rather than actually discuss anything. So the fact that she's willing to stick in as long as she does in this conversation is indicative of something. She, she is trying. She's just, she's terrible at this kind of stuff. How do you write stuff like this? Have some bad arguments in your life. You can usually pull from them. There are things that are said on both sides of both of these conversations that are, if, if not quoted verbatim from my own life, certainly easy to extrapolate from, you know, just, you know, bad situations. Who hasn't had a bad relationship? Uh, who hasn't had something, uh, uh, just a situation or any kind of relationship, romantic or otherwise, that hasn't gone bad? at some point in time, or really had a bad scene. So you kind of dig in there. And I've reached into some specific places for some of this, all taken out of context, certainly. I've never been in a band. I've certainly never dated the guitarist. More's the pity, because Tom's probably very pretty. And he never raises his voice, which it will amuse some people who know me to know that I was actually, that was a thing I was known for when I was younger. When I was really mad, I would get really quiet. My kids have broken me of that habit. I, partly because I probably don't really get mad anymore. It's just sort of that hair-pulling, apoplectic frustration that you get with a two-year-old. So I've grown as a person and also, like, you know, raised my blood pressure in the process. Hooray! There's always different ways you can approach this. There's, there's that eternal question when you're setting up scenes or when you're setting up a whole story about plotting it out, outlining it, versus just kind of going by the seat of the pants. I... Because of my, I'm, I'm going to put this on a specific kind of background of mine. Because of my gaming background, because of my role-playing, I do a lot of, you know, I've done a lot of role-playing gaming in the past. And a lot of it's been like running the games as opposed to playing in them. My approach with a lot of this stuff is to present a situation and a problem and then kind of step back and see what everybody does. It's, it works for gaming and for, for those kinds of, that kind of stuff. And it, I find it works really well for stories. Uh, pretty much any scene that you have, you're going to have a character and you're going to have a situation the character's in and you're going to have something that the character wants um, or doesn't want or you know wants to not happen or, or something like that. 
and then it's just a question of what, you know, what they're willing to give to get what they want or, and whether or not they're going to surprise you with it. So in this case, you know, these scenes are pretty straightforward. You know, I know, I know what's happening, but I don't know how it turns out. I don't think, I think that's true. And I, it sounds all very Zen and, you know, it's, trust me, it's not nearly as Zen and smooth when I'm doing it. But, you know, with Josh's scene, I tend to sit down and say, well, Josh wants, is going to break up with Callie. That's what he's decided he's going to do. Or not break up with, but leave the band. So what happens? It's entirely possible that she talks him out of it. It's entirely possible that his will simply breaks because he sees how sad he's making her. Even though he's with somebody else by this point in time, I think. Um, I don't know. I, d- I just flat out don't know. In this case, she gives in because, and that's actually her growing a little bit she just accepts it and says okay okay we're not that's fine we're not going to do this um and that you know it's as much a surprise for me the first time i read it is not tom comes in and he's trying to resolve things kind of flailing around a little bit because he doesn't know quite what to do with kelly she's a bit of a handful and she's sort of trying to fix things without losing any ground calliope's learning the hard way that you can either be right or you can be happy but you can often not be both. A lot of times in a good relationship, it's a question of asking whether you'd rather be happy or whether you want to prove that you were right. Calliope can't yet give up the idea that she's got to be right. And I don't know whether she ever does. Yeah, there's, there's a bit there where Calliope is saying, he doesn't want the coffee, she wants the coffee. And if she could just, she knows exactly what to do to change the mood and get him relaxed, just get things moving the right way. And she can't because while she's willing to reconcile and kind of let him back in the house, blah, blah, blah. It's beyond her still at this point to do the thing that says, that says even unspoken, I was the one that was wrong yesterday, two days ago. She just can't do it. Now, maybe that makes her a bad person. I think it just makes her a person. I think Calliope gets to the point where she becomes the person who can do that but it's a long ways from here. There is a, a scene near the end of the story where she calls somebody right at the end just to let them know that she's okay. For those of you who remember, she calls mom. But I will tell you, authorly secret, I have changed the M at the beginning of that to a T at least a dozen times. And then back to the M and then back to the T because I honestly don't know I didn't, I couldn't decide who it was that she would have called first. Ultimately, the biggest change for Calliope is about the, her relationship with her family. So she calls mom, but it could have been Tom and it probably will be Tom very shortly thereafter. Here's a little bit of really, really deep hidden things trivia. Um, there's a short story that I wrote for a fundraiser for a, a blogathon that I did, geez, ages ago. This is before Hidden Things was even a glimmer in my eye. And I was writing for this 24-hour blogathon where I was basically writing 24 hours straight to raise money for a prostate cancer foundation because my dad had been diagnosed with cancer and I was, I was just doing this thing. So I wrote this story about a guy who gets called back home to the Midwest in a way yeah, he doesn't really want to come back. And it's certainly far away. In my mind, it was sort of LA and he comes home to help his family out. And it all turns into this whole thing with shooting goblins with high-powered rifles and things like that. It was also a story about the cancer thing. Now, the interesting thing is that character's name is Sean. And he goes back. Ultimately, everything gets okay and he goes back home. The guy that Tom is crashing at 
when he gets kicked out of Calliope's house is the character from that short story. Um, the short story, for those of you who may have read it, is called uh, Valen Road. I don't know that it'll, it probably won't find its way into the, into the little thing story, but it, it's certainly out there for people to read. It's out on the website and stuff like that, so people could check it out. But yes, that character ends up in this book very briefly as a named, per, you know, named offstage cameo. So there you go. All this stuff is tied together. Oh, right. So for the next one, we're going to continue Calliope and her guys. Uh, the next big scene is with her and Johnson. This is a good scene. I, I Well, Johnson's one of my favorite characters. I'm going to say that about everybody. This is going to become my, my thing. It really, how many times I say it is based on how many characters there are in the story. Because honestly, if I didn't like them, I deleted them. They're not there anymore. I could tell you about the guys I didn't like. There was a troll at one point, but he's not here anymore. I have to use him later. Um, so yeah, stuff with, with uh, Johnson in the next one. It's a good long scene with him. And maybe Vicus? We'll see. I'm not sure what's in the next section. We'll have to find out. This is the next section of Chapter 7 coming up. Mm-hmm.